Well, hello, everybody. Good to be with you. I haven't seen most of you since Christmas Eve, and um, I haven't been in this room since then, and the trees are still here, so kind of weirded me out. But hey, it's still the holidays, apparently. Glad we're able to be together uh, during these times. Um, if you could open a Bible to Luke chapter 18, let's do that. Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 18. And we're going to read verses 1 through 8 together. So once you grab a Bible, if you don't have one, there's some on the back table. You can snag one off there. But let's all stand together as I read God's Word, and then I'm going to pray for our time together. So Luke 18. Jesus told his disciples a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that we're not left wondering uh, what you are like and who we are and what is wrong with this world and how you're putting it right. Lord, you are good and gracious. You are a God who speaks. And we know, Lord, as we see in your scriptures, that when you speak, you act. And so, Lord, we pray today that as we open your word together, that you would speak. Lord, that you would comfort uh, those who are afflicted and um, just afflict those maybe who are overly comfortable um, and shouldn't be. Lord, would you um, just shape us into the people that you're, you're wanting us to be. So I pray you would... Uh, be with me now, fill me with your spirit, Lord, be with my mouth, and uh, just move in this time that we have together. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Thanks for standing. Um, Well, we began the Gospel of Luke back in the summer of 2020, um, which feels like a long time ago. It actually wasn't that long ago. And um, we are now entering back into the Gospel of Luke. And Lord willing, we're going to be finishing the Gospel of Luke around Easter time, which I'm really excited about. But I want to remind us as we go back into the Gospel of Luke, how at the beginning of this letter, uh, Luke is writing to a man named Theophilus. And he says, I'm writing this orderly account to you so that you would be certain about the things concerning Jesus. And I find that remarkable that as we're living in such uncertain times, that this gospel is given to us, that we would be certain about Jesus, that we'd be certain about Jesus. And as we come to this text here, even this afternoon, what what Luke wants us to be certain about is that Jesus cares about his people. Jesus cares about his people. He wants you to be certain that he cares about you. In 2020 and 2021 have most likely been two of the most challenging years that you've gone through. And maybe as we look ahead into 2022 now, uh, we might be a little jaded, right? We might be a little guarded against thinking that it's going to be that much better. Um, you, you could say a lot of people are losing heart. People are giving up left and right, it seems. 
Uh, in fact, we are in the midst of what is being called in the workforce in America. We're, we're seeing something called the big quit or the great resignation, uh, un- an unprecedented wave of people quitting their jobs. You look back acor- across our nation's history, and I think, uh, to my understanding, the largest peak within a month of people quitting their jobs in the U.S. was 2.7% of people. But we are currently in the midst of a, a season where on a, a monthly average is 3 to 4%. That's, that's a lot of people, right? This is across the board. Uh, leadership jobs in general within civic or healthcare or even within the church are, are greatly affected. I read a recent study that showed 38% of Protestant pastors seriously thought about quitting in the last year. If you're under the age of 45, that jumped to 46%. So, so we're now, we're, we're two years into this pandemic season, and we could all admit people are pretty tired. You know, the world is changing faster than we can adapt. I mean, if you're a Christian, there's so many even social issues that, that you're trying to get up to speed on, and, and you're, you're wrestling with what is a faithful, loving, and convictional response as a Christian to different things, whether that's racial injustice, if you're a Christian and your kids are in the public schools, you're, you're trying to discern what a faithful, loving response is um, that your kids maybe are being exposed to in schools, whether that's around gender or sexuality or other things. The world's changing fast in your thinking. Your relationships over the last two years may have been strained as you found out that you, you think about some political things differently than your friends or your neighbors. Your marriage might not be in a great spot for a host of different reasons. You might be in over your head as a parent as your kids have aged into their teenage years and they're doing things that you never thought they'd be doing and you look at them and you still see them as six-year-old innocent whoever. Or you're a teenager and, and you're, you're feeling overwhelmed by the restrictions that your parents are putting on you. I mean, I could go on and on, right? But suffice it to say, unless you're four years old, which if you are, you're probably not in here or paying attention to me, But unless you're four years old, you probably find yourself today wanting to throw in the towel on something, right? Whether that's your job, whether that's a friendship, your school, your address, maybe your church even, your marriage. And if you were honest, you might even say your faith. I'm curious, are you losing heart right now? Are you losing heart? I mean, how do you not lose heart in a world that maybe the future doesn't feel as bright and clear as it is foggy? Well, good news, good news. Did you know that that's Jesus' desire for us, that we would not lose heart? I love the plainness of verse 1. Jesus tells his disciples a parable in order to have the effect, right? That's what it says. He tells us this story in order to have an effect that we ought always to pray and not lose heart. Jesus' desire is that if you are one of his followers, if you are a child of God, that you would not give up, that you would not give up, that you would make it. And do you see what is present in the life of somebody who does not lose heart, right? Constant prayer. I mean, do you see Jesus is linking losing heart up with a lack of prayer. He's combining these things in a way. In other words, if you are prayerless in your life, you're probably going to find yourself losing heart. And if you're someone who is constantly in prayer, 
I bet you're not quite there yet. See, this is Jesus' desire for us, is to be a people who pray always. And in order to find the encouragement to always pray and never lose heart, we see three things that we need to know. Not just know in our minds intellectually, but believe in our hearts. We we need to know our need. We need to secondly know our God. And we need to know that we're loved. Those are the three things that we're, we're called to see and know in this short and simple parable. So if we are to always pray, uh, fundamentally we, number one, need to see our need. You will not pray if you don't know your need. That's the first thing we see here. Let's, let's look at verses 2 through 3 again. Here's the story. Jesus said there was a certain city. There was a judge. He didn't fear God or respect man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. So we have two characters in this short story. We have a judge and a widow. And the big thing that we need to know about them is that they are not equal, right? There's a huge imbalance between them. The judge is up here in society, right? The widow is at the very bottom of society. The judge has all the power and she has none of it. He has status, he has wealth and respect, Um, he has a means to do what he wants, and the judgments that he makes are carried out, right? The widow, well, first and foremost, she's a female, which in this society, that's a big blow to her influence and status. She has no means of support to be a person in her position. You don't even have friends who can help you. She's a widow. Her life then is marked by grief and deep sadness, and she's experienced loss, and she has an enemy. She's got someone who is against her, who's maybe trying to take advantage of her uh, because of her inability to help herself, right? There's there's countries even right now where if you're a widow in a, in a certain kind of country in this world, people might come in and, and try to force you out of, their, out of your home or off your land even. So this widow basically needs this judge who has God's laws Right? She wants him to use them and to use his power to help her and to give her justice. But he's not that kind of judge because we're told he doesn't fear God. He doesn't care what other people think. So without those two guardrails in your life, you're only going to do what's in your best interest for yourself. So he doesn't care about her situation. This, this widow then is going to be walked all over unless this one person who she pleads with, who has this sort of authority, can come and help her. She is in desperate need here. So we we need to pause just for a second. And let's remember, you guys, that Jesus never chooses his characters in his parables randomly. He's not like, I want to tell you a story. Let's, you know, we got a widow. Let's let's use a widow, right? Like he doesn't do that. No, he's he's very intentional about the people that he uses. This widow, uh, we're even told here, is someone that we should be relating to, that we should relate to this person. Jesus says, in effect, you want to know something about prayer. Do you want to know something about not losing heart? Look at this widow. Let me tell you a story about someone who's completely helpless and in need, someone who has no power, someone who's completely dependent. Do you see? Prayer is an acknowledgement that says, I need help. I can't fix this. I don't have the power to do this thing. I'm helpless I am dependent. 
And so some of us, we read this parable and we think, that's me. That's me. I'm the widow. I desperately need God to sort out my heart because I can't fix it. I so need God to sort out this situation or to, to deal with this family member or this loved one who, who doesn't know Jesus, right? What can I do about that? What about this illness that I can't do anything about? What about my future that seems so blurry and scary? What about all the stuff happening in the world, right? I need God. And if that's you, this is amazing because Jesus has built this parable around that sense of need, right? He gets it. He's, he's actually saying it's a good thing, that that's where you should be. That's, that's what will help you and drive you to pray. You're in a good place to pray if you feel that way. But some of us are here and we think, well, I don't need God in my life. I actually don't need that much help. Or he just won't even give it, so I'm going to definitely look elsewhere. I mean, perhaps you're not even a Christian and you think, I don't need God's help. But at some point in your life, I mean, haven't you felt helpless? If even for a moment, haven't you felt whether it was some sorrow or grief that came on suddenly, right? Or or some long uncertainty of illness in your life or not knowing what the future held or how to get out of a sticky situation, I mean, haven't you felt helpless? And maybe you think that that was just the speed bump in the road of your life and and you're past that now and so you're fine and back to normal life. You're in control again. But, But what if it's actually the other way around? What if those are actually the signs that you are actually helpless and that you're really not as in control as you think you are? I mean, just think about the things that you treasure most in your life, right? The things that you're invested in the, the most, right? Think of your family, right? Think of your health. Think about your future. Aren't those the things that you feel the most helpless in? I, I, want, I want to belabor this point because it's an important one. Um, if you think about it, our lives, let's be honest, especially in the suburbs, right? Our lives are designed. Our lives are even aimed to make us feel secure and insulated, right? To to make us feel like we aren't in need. That's what we're kind of going for in our lives, isn't it? I mean, some people even have insurance for their insurance. I've heard these things, right? right? We get fed the message all the time from birth that we are in control of our lives and all we have to do is just grab the bull by its horns and you can make whatever you want to happen, happen. And, and when you're happy and when you're well-connected and networked and your friendships are fine, when things are going to plan, you believe it. But we are not made for that. We are creatures. We are made dependent. We are made to be sustained by someone else. Just, just like a mother nursing her child, like that baby needs her mother. We need our God. So if we find prayer, I mean sustained prayer, hard, could it be because we don't feel the need for it? I mean, you don't think that you actually need to pray. I mean, just as I reflect on my life, I mean, the people I know 
that actually pray in a way that Jesus is talking about here fall into usually three categories. One, they're missionaries. They've kind of left all the comforts of their life and they're living in a difficult place. I have a lot of friends in that place. Two, they're older people who've discovered that through grief and illness that they are not invincible. Or three, they are people who have faced really hard times in their life. Right? Those who've had the veneer of their independence sort of stripped away. Right? They've, they've pressed into God even though through those times. They didn't run off and press into something else. They pressed into God. Those are the people. I don't think that's an accident, even if it's a generalization and even if it's just my observation. Jesus is saying, if you want to grow in your prayer life, know your need. You must see your need. And so when there's those moments where I'm discouraged, where I feel like I'll never change, or when someone else that you want to change won't change, if, if you're facing unwanted circumstances once again, those are the moments. Those are the moments. But if we're being honest, I think we often try to cover up and we're really quick to want to distract ourselves from feeling that need. Right? And when we do that, when we're quick to just distract ourselves from actually experiencing that need, it will diminish our prayer life and it will actually heighten your feeling of losing heart. So maybe for you, you feel a need, and you don't even want to dwell on it, you don't even want to really know too much about it. So you grab your phone. Maybe it's the doom scrolling through social media. Or maybe you head off to the store, you know, the whole therapy shopping thing, right? Or you just distract yourself in any way possible. You turn on the game, right? You quickly run to something to distract yourself when your need is being exposed, so if every time I go buy something when I feel the need or I grab my phone or I turn something on or I, I rummage through the cupboards to eat something I probably shouldn't eat or whatever it is, right? Or if you're a weirdo like me and you start cleaning or you start rearranging furniture in your house, you know, maybe you're somebody who just works your way out of it, right? You just start a new project. Unless we stop and think, what's my need? What am I not wanting to see here? I... I I'm not going to be helped by that. Ask yourself, why am I unable to not distract myself? What am I running from? What, what need am I feeling? See, prayer will be impossible for you if you don't know your need. The widow notes her need. But if all you know is your need, and that's all you know, you will lose heart, which is why you got to know two other things. Secondly is we, we must know our God. This is how we don't lose heart, Right? Know your God. What, what do we expect this widow to do? Well, we expect her to just give up, don't we? It's not working. Just let it go. I know it's a horrible situation, but hey, it's life in a broken world. But she doesn't give up. And that's where the parable starts to get really interesting. Look in verse 3 again. There was a widow in the city who kept coming to this judge and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Literally, it's give me a black eye. That's what the word means. She's a pretty intense widow. Okay? The Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. And he will not, and will not God give justice to his elect? 
who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? All right, so we see here she doesn't give in. She pesters the judge, but he still wouldn't give her justice. So she surprised him, you know, we think maybe at the door of his car when he's leaving work. You know, he cuts, she cuts him off in the parking lot. She sees him at the restaurant with his buddies having a good time and goes over to the table and says it again, right? I mean, she fills his inbox with emails and his voicemails with messages, right? She put, you know, billboards up across town and yard signs in his yard, you know, and still he, he will not help her, but she just keeps going and going and going. And finally, the judge says he's worn out, right? So he gives in. See, the judge hasn't changed, has he? Right? He's still a horrible judge. He's still only going to act in his best interest, but now his best interest is, I want this lady to leave me alone. See, the widow has won because of her persistence. Right? This parable can be often easily misunderstood by us because it can cause us, if we are not careful, to misunderstand God and prayer in general. It can make prayer, and even Jesus' encouragement to us, to, to make prayer into feeling like we're nagging God to get him to care about us. And maybe you wonder if this is what it is saying, that, that I just need to nag God and he'll finally give me what I want. You know, it's like me when I'm not being a good parent. You know, if you were to record relation, you know, conversations in my house, many would probably go like this. You know, my kid comes up and asks me for a treat and I say, no, it's not good for you. You don't need one now. A little time passes. Hey, dad, can I have a treat? No, you cannot. You know, a little time passes. Hey, dad, can I have a treat? Hey, go talk to your mom, right? Go talk to mom. You know, still, she says no. So a little while later, hey, dad, can I have a treat? I say no. Can I have a treat? Fine, right? You can have a treat, right? It's just the, hey, I don't want to give it to you. I don't think you need it, but I'm tired of you nagging me about it, right? You know? And so in a way, we think this is what prayer is like, but it's not. But that's how prayer might feel. That's how prayer might feel. But that's not what's happening here. That's not what prayer is, which is leading us to these two things, that we need to know our God, know who it is that we're praying to. Because our picture of God shapes what we think we're doing when we're praying. Who you think your God is when you're praying will influence what you think you're actually doing when you're speaking to him. So if your God, your view of God is that he is uninterested, then prayer is going to feel like you're trying to hack the system, right? You're trying to overload the servers or something and make everything crash so that he'll give in. You got to be loud and obnoxious and get in God's face and finally he'll answer you. Or if you think of God as impersonal, then prayer will become this magic formula in your mind. You got to say the perfect words in the perfect order at the perfect time and the perfect amount of time. And if you do that, then God will answer. He'll listen. But that's not who our God is. Who is our God? What does it say? He will give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night. He will not delay. He will give justice to them speedily. See, this is a parable of contrast, isn't it? It's an argument from the lesser to greater. He's saying, if even a mean and selfish and uncaring judge would give justice because he was so worn down by the widow, even though she had nothing she could offer him or tempt him by, then how much more would an infinitely compassionate, loving, powerful, and caring God listen to you? 
If an unloving, good-for-nothing, unrighteous judge, even if he gives justice, how much more will the infinitely just God do what is right? So who is our God? Do you think he can do anything about the things that you care about? Do you think he cares about the things that you care about? I'll never forget a few years ago, there was, uh, I know there's far too many shootings these days, but I'll never forget one, there was a shooting at a clinic. And like always, when a shooting happens, people pop on social media, people in leadership, government jobs, whatever it is, and people start, pastors, others say, praying for these people, praying for the situation. And there was something that happened in response to this shooting where this hashtag was created, where people wrote hashtag God's not fixing this. Basically, people are saying, stop with the praying. People need more, you need more than prayer, right? Just stop saying, I'm going to pray about this. Things need to change, right? And it turned into this big political thing. But see, is, is that who you think God is? That when those things happen and you pray, God's like kind of disinterested. He's not really, he's not going to fix this. But that's not what we believe as Christians. That's, that's what we know isn't true even as Christians. He will, God will fix things because he has. He will fix genocide. God will fix cancer. God will fix human trafficking. God will fix abortion. God will fix broken families. Right? When you pray, God knows and he cares far more than you do. Not less, not because he's nagged into caring, but because of who he is. I mean, just think about how Israel was, was taught to understand their God. If you, if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 10, there it said, For the Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who is not partial. He takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food. And clothing, these are all people who have no power to do anything in their own strength. See, the teaching of this parable is that we must continue in our prayers even when there seems to be no answer because God, unlike the unjust judge, is loving, good, and gracious. See, we persist in prayer not because we have not yet gotten God's attention, but because we know we have. And we know that he cares and will hear us. He's the God who cannot fail to do what is right. Shouldn't this in and of itself just drive you to pray? Let me just ask you, when you pray, is this the God you hold in your mind? Is this the God you hold in your mind? How do we not lose heart in this world? We must know our God. If you truly know your God and that he's far better and truer than any horrible judge in this story, you will always pray. And you will not lose heart. But you lastly have to know something about yourself. That's the last thing you need to know. And that's that you know you were loved. I don't know if you've ever believed God could do something, but simultaneously you don't believe he will. You ever live there? You're like, I know God could do that, but I've, why would he? Maybe it's a sick child being healed. Maybe it's, it's wanting to be married. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's a 
a church facility, you know? That we think of God as if He's this grand and beyond us and untouchable and holy and glorious beyond comparison God, and we are so small and insignificant, which all those things are very true. So the thought goes, He doesn't care about me, why would He? He has more important things to, to, to do, right? And so we feel pious. We feel right in our thinking because we have this high view of God and, and low view of ourself. But deceptively and ironically, when we believe that about God, our God is too small because God is so much greater than that. See, who we think we are to God it matters immensely to us not losing heart and giving up, you guys. Who are we? What does it say? Will he not bring justice to his elect? Who are you? The word in the ESV is elect. It's the word chosen ones. Are you not God's chosen ones? This is adoption language, right? If you're a Christian, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, the Bible says you are God's chosen one. God has created you in his image to be a mirror, reflection of his likeness and his glory. And God is so big that before the world began, the Bible teaches us that he thought of you, that he thought of all of his people. And he said, I'm going to have them as my own. And I'm going to order all the events in their lives so that they encounter my love. And I will demonstrate my love for them by sending Jesus, the Son, to go into this world and to die on a cross. And even before that moment, in his hour of greatest need, what does Jesus do? He gathers his closest disciples, his friends to himself, and he says, would you stay up and pray? Stay alert. Don't lose heart. Pray with me. And what do they do? They sleep. While well, he goes into the garden to come and accomplish the thing that he knows that he set out to do. And then he sits there and he prays and he prays and he prays. If there's any other way, let this cup of your wrath, right, your just judgment for sin pass from me. And what's the answer to his prayer? It's, no, there's no other way. So he gets up and we're told that he endures the cross for the joy set before him. He despises the shame when he gets up from death and he lives. He lives. But more than that, you guys, what does he do? He ascends and what does he do? Anybody who turns to him, he says that God sends the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God into your life so that you would know you are a child of God. So that your heart would cry out, Abba, Father, we know he loves us. Ephesians 5, Christ loved us, gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. When you're praying, are you thinking, I am not insignificant to God? Even though we're on different levels of, I mean, glory, right? You are not an annoyance to God. He's never there thinking of you, you know, I really wish they'd kind of just go away and leave me alone, Right? The voice just gets annoying after a while even, you know. He's never thinking that. One former pastor said, in the Bible, God is said to have counted two things, the number of the stars and the number of hairs on your head. 
For some of us, that takes longer than others, right? We can be honest about that. But what a comparison. What a comparison. Mighty burning planet stars. I'm not an astronomer, right? But balls of fire in the sky in galaxies and stuff. And the number of hairs on your head. And it's another comparison, even in that, from the lesser to the greater, but not in the way that you would think. Because you, with however many hairs that you even have on your head, are worth more to God than a galaxy of stars. He counts the stars with infinite knowledge, but he counts his own people with infinite love. That's you if you know Christ. You're the chosen ones. We have these wrong views of our relationship with God in prayer, and so some of us picture prayer like if we want to picture one of those huge satellites just beaming something out into space, like hoping something's going to pick it up and receive the message, right? And we can think of prayer that way, that we're just beaming out some words into space, hoping God even hears us and cares. But think about Psalm 116, where the psalmist writes, I love the Lord because he's heard my voice, my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. See, when you pray, guys, you don't bounce your words out into space. You whisper them into the very ear of God every time. And so we still have the elephant in the room. Well, will God answer? Right? Does he really love us? What does verse 8 say? He will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? See, this this parable here um, is in a section, a larger section in Luke about the second coming of Jesus. We just celebrated the first coming of Jesus here at Christmas time, but this is talking about his second coming. And so I think Luke is saying something like this, Jesus will come back. He will come back soon, sooner than you might even expect. And when he does, nobody will say, you didn't listen to my prayers. Nobody will say you weren't answering. You will look and see how all your prayers were answered and none of them fell on deaf ears. He will do what is right to every single one of them. You can think of it this way, vindication, justice, right, is the next thing on the divine calendar. And once it comes, and once you're standing in that eternal life situation, that eternal life that follows, it will be a quick exercise of justice. When justice finally comes, in light of eternity, you will look back and you're like, wow, that was quick. That was quick. You will know that he cared all along. You will know that he heard those prayers. You will know that you were loved. Will God answer me? Does he really love us? Yes. Yes, he does. Look at Jesus, who has one final question for us. Because when we are losing heart, when we are tempted to give up, we're asking, does God care? Does God hear? Will he answer? And Jesus' question is, will you pray? Will you pray? Will I find faith? See, we might wonder, will God be faithful? He says, of course I will. Will you be faithful? Will you keep praying? Will you keep trusting? Will you keep looking to me? Will you keep running to me? Will you continually hold up me, who you know, in front of the eyes of your heart with faith? 
See, that's the interesting thing here about faith. Faith can feel kind of abstract to us. We don't even know what it is sometimes. It's hard to put sort of skin and bones and clothes to it, but here it's clear. What does faith look like? It looks like someone praying and not losing heart. It looks like someone on their knees. I think George Mueller was a great example of this. Um, I was just shoved down my throat George Mueller books in college and seminary, and they, they all tasted really good. They were wonderful books, right? But George Mueller, if you don't know, he was a guy who lived in England in the 1800s, started an orphanage, did all these amazing things. Um, I think he didn't own any books except a Bible, you know. He just would get up early and pray. He did all these amazing things, and it was only basically done through prayer. It's, re- it's remarkable when you read about his life. But, but I was so impressed how he writes in his diary. Back then, men wrote in diaries, not journals, okay? So fold it. you can call it a diary now, guys, if you want, right? George Mueller did it. He had a beard, okay? In November 1844, he writes in his diary, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. I prayed every day without a single day off, whether I was sick, whether I was in good health, whether I was on land, whether I was on sea, and whatever the pressures of my engagements might be. Every day, he prayed for five people to know Christ. Eighteen months goes by, and the first of them is finally converted to Christ. Eighteen months. You prayed everything, prayed for anything every day for 18 months, right? If you were like... If he were more like me, he'd be like, wow, 20%, one out of five, that's pretty good. I think I'm done, right? 18 months goes by, one is converted. He says, I thanked God, and then I prayed on. Five more years goes by. Number two comes to faith. He goes, I thanked God for number two, and I prayed on. Six years goes by. The third one comes to faith. He goes, I thanked God, and I prayed on. He says, and then 36 years later, right, he writes in his diary that these two final people still had not come to faith in Christ. But he writes, but I hope in God and pray on. They are not converted yet, but they will be. And then in 1897, 52 years after he started praying every day for those five people, the two men finally were converted. But Mueller had already died. Man. You know what makes George Mueller amazing is we read about people like that and we're like, I could never do that. But see, George, he just knew his need. He knew what he couldn't do. But he knew his God. And he knew that he was loved. So he prayed. And he did not lose heart. It's really that simple. It really is. And so I want to encourage you today. I mean, there are some of you here, and I know you are really faithful in prayer. And I hope you hear Jesus' words and that you just find encouragement in them. You hear him saying, keep going. Right? Don't lose heart. Jesus is coming back. He's bringing in the kingdom. Keep praying with that day in mind. But honestly, too, some of us need to repent. I think some of us do. And for far too long, we've, we've faced difficulty. And we've faced need in our lives. And we've stopped 
running to God in prayer, but instead we've, we've harbored our bitterness and our resentment and our worries and our doubts and our anger. And we've outsourced our hopes and we've run to other things. We've shut down. We've tried hard to distract ourselves. And God is saying, look at me. Do you know me? Do you see my heart for you? Do you doubt my compassion? If you doubt the compassion of God, look at the cross. We measure the compassion of God through the cross. We, we can't look at him and say he has no compassion. And we can't look at him and say he can't do anything about it because we measure his power by the resurrection. Jesus got up from death. If he can do that, we behold our God. We run to him. So some of us just need to keep going. And I hope you hear the voice of Jesus tonight. I've told you these words so that you would keep praying and not lose heart. And some of us need to repent. So how will you pray always? Well, you got to know your need. You got to try to stop distracting yourself from it. How will you not lose heart? You got to know your God. And you got to know that he loves you. God is completely committed to doing us good. Let's all stand as we pray and we move into our time of response. Father, we come to you tonight and we pray and ask that you would take your words and just the amazing story about this persistent widow and you help us to see us in her. And Lord, I pray that um, we would look up to you and we would see your um, unending steadfast love towards us, your infinite power and your amazing care for your people. Lord, I pray that as we move into a time of singing and um, response and communion and reflection and quiet and prayer, all these things, Lord, I just pray that we would hear your voice, that we would respond to you, that we would be a church, Lord, who is known by our prayer, that we would really see that prayer is indispensable because we know our need and we know how good you are. So help us, Lord, as we, we consider your word tonight, would you cause it to have the effect in our lives that you desire, that we would always pray and not lose heart. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. <laughs>